Welcome to the 12th episode of Tufts Career Center's podcast, From Here to There, where we'll be talking with Tufts alumni about their career journeys, starting from their time at Tufts all the way to their current positions. I'm Maggie. And I'm Aria, and we are career fellows at the Tufts Career Center. Joining us today is Taylor McVeigh, who graduated from the Tufts University School of the Museum of Fine Arts in 2009. Taylor is an artist, designer, and educator who is passionate about slow fashion. She has a sewing pattern company, Blueprints for Sewing, and is a founding member of New Craft Artists in Action. She also gives lectures and holds workshops on slow fashion and craftivism. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, first off, we would love if you could give us a brief introduction. Tell us who you are and what you do in your current role. Hi, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Um, my name is Taylor, of course. Um, and whenever I'm introducing myself to people, I say you can remember it really easily because Taylor goes with tailoring. Um, so I, <laughs> so I just to kind of start from the beginning, I've always been a very like hands-on, crafty, creative kind of person. And of course, you know, the normal trajectory of that is you end up in art school. And so that's how I ended up at the SMFA. Um and so I have done a lot of different things um, since graduating from college. So it's been kind of a whining journey, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, but at this point in my life, just to give a little bit about me, I, as you mentioned, I'm really passionate about slow fashion and sustainability, and I have been for many years. And my career has sort of evolved alongside um, those passions, kind of finding different outlets for exploring those. Um, along with being an artist in a more um, official sense, I've also just dabbled in sewing and clothing design for most of my life. And so uh, that's kind of followed me along the way. And where I find myself today is mostly in an educational role. So teaching others how to make their own clothes, how to think a little bit differently about the fashion industry, and how to kind of position themselves in relationship to it and maybe kind of change their thinking. So essentially, my goal is to radicalize people when it comes to fashion. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think that's super important, especially as we see the rise of Sheen and other fast fashion companies and more of an awareness around that environmental impact. That seems to be a, your focus now. Has that always been your focus? You were talking about how you were always a like, crafty person. How would you describe the trajectory of your career, particularly starting your own sewing pattern company? So I, I come from a background of being, as far as if, thinking about like my politics or my philosophies when it comes to like fashion and kind of how I ended up where I am today. Um, you know, I was a very punk rock teenager. I was really interested in kind of going against the status quo um, as sort of like a creative and like queer person. You know, it's just, I always wanted to find different ways for uh, like wanted to find different ways to express my identity and my values in a way that kind of stood at odds with a lot of what I was surrounded with, right? Like I grew up in Los Angeles, which, you know, is different now than when I grew up, but a very kind of like image conscious culture um, with a lot of, you know, beauty standards and expectations and things like that. And so I think from a young age, 
I really wanted to step outside of that. It just never really fit me. And so, you know, that's more sort of a personal philosophical thing, but I feel like that has kind of shaped most of my path, both as a human and in terms of my career, right? Because as someone really interested in fashion, I think it's pretty funny how I never, and I've been interested in clothing and fashion since I was a teenager, and I have never ended up in a conventional fashion career. And I think that's very much by design. Uh, I think a good way to describe it is that throughout my time kind of figuring out what I wanted to do with my life, those values that I held really close, which is just sort of questioning the status quo, kind of thinking about things from a very DIY perspective, which comes from like the punk rock teenage thing, making my own clothes, um, you know, making music with limited materials. Um, that ethos has just kind of like, followed me along throughout my trajectory of both learning and my professional life. And what I think is interesting is as I grew as an individual and went to school and learned and kind of became more mature and like more educated as a human, um, what was sort of a narrow-minded punk rock ethos really grew into an overall philosophy about like people and culture and material culture specifically. So I don't know if that's too abstract, but that I feel like that kind of explains it. So just through the different steps in my career, I kind of found ways to kind of embody those values in ways that I was able to kind of um, understand and connect with at the time, like at different stages in my, in my like life trajectory. Very cool. Thanks so much. Um, I'm like an art student myself. So it's like really interesting you talking about like the different cultures in fashion. Um, so I'm like curious, is there a reason why you chose like the SMFA versus like, um, like fat, like huge fashion cities like New York or like Parsons? Mm -hmm. Like why specifically um, the SMFA? Because we um, didn't don't have like a specific fashion like major. Um, so how did you kind of like navigate through that? And like what how what what um, made you choose the SMFA? That's a great question. So I think one of the things that's important to know is that even though I've always made clothes and that's always been something that's like a core part of my creative practice and also as my of my personal, you know, practice. Um, I was a painter when I was in high school. I actually went to an arts magnet, a public arts magnet high school in Los Angeles called the Los Angeles County High School for the Arts. And so I was actually a painter. And at the time, you know, I was a painter, but I also was very interested in things like new media and performance art. That's what it was called, new media at the time. I don't even know if it's called that anymore. But I was really interested in like video and performance art and like the kind of blossoming computer internet art world, which was sort of new at the time. And so when I looked at colleges, you know, because I was sort of disinterested in the fashion industry, I didn't think that fashion would be a career path for me. And so what I, and I honestly, frankly, I wasn't even really thinking about a career path. I was thinking, I want to go to college. I want to immerse myself in a creative practice. And so I want to go to a school that's going to be the most experimental and allow me to paint and explore all these other mediums. So I ended up at the SMFA for two reasons. Um, the first reason was because when I came to tour the school, I got the overall feeling that it had sort of 
a like conceptual foundation. It was focused more on conceptual art and experimenting with ideas than a traditional arts curriculum that was focused more on technique, right? And so I just got a really good vibe for it. And I also really enjoyed Boston. So Boston is like the polar opposite of Los Angeles. Like it's as, as different as you can get from Southern California. And I grew up in Southern California and I like love my family and a lot of things about Los Angeles, but it was not for me. And when I came to Boston, I just fell in love with how like gloomy it was and how many bricks there were and how people were interested in like intellectual discussions and didn't really care what you looked like. And I was like, this is, this is where I'm meant to be. So, um, so I ended up at art school versus going to like a fashion school just because I wanted to experiment with art. I wanted to develop my practice and just see where it took me. I didn't know what I wanted to do for a job. I didn't know, you know, what I wanted to do with my life. All I knew is that I wanted to be in an inspiring place and I wanted to um, expand my practice and kind of experiment. I totally relate to the Southern California to Boston. I grew up in San Diego <laughs> okay. and I love it here. <laughs> I'm really interested. You're talking a lot about your values, how you had an idea of where you wanted to go, but we're really interested in the more abstract piece. What job did you have after graduating and what was the path of converting those values into a career? Okay. So that's a super good question. I think that the jobs that I had while I was in college actually kind of helped me form those beliefs in a more concrete way. And, you know, I think it won't come as a surprise to you that when I was in college, my jobs were all in fashion retail. And so I was working either part or full time while I was at the museum school at a variety of different um uh, like retail establishments. And two of the main ones that I worked at that I feel like really speak to where I find myself today in relationship to the fashion industry are um, early on in school, I got an internship creating displays at Anthropology, which is like a big fancy clothing store. You know, it's very bohemian and eclectic and people love it, right? It's very, they have great, the design is really cool. They have great people working for them in terms, I, everyone I worked with was wonderful, right? So I'll say that because I'm also going to say some, some not so nice things, but um, <laughs> um, that are just realities of retail, like, let's be honest. So I was doing displays and then eventually working in the shipping department and working in sales at Anthropology. Um, and what was really exciting and inspiring was I was around all this cool design. I was working with these great people, um, but I saw firsthand the like waste and negligence that comes from fast fashion, right? I'm working in a store where there's all these beautiful pieces and they're made in all of these, you know, developing countries. And we can go on a whole long conversation about, um, you know, labor rights and issues of like, uh, you know, colonialism and the histories of colonialism in relationship to the fashion industry, who's making what clothing and who's buying it, right? Um, and the sort of like racial divides and class divides there. Um, and those are important things to talk about, but I'm by no means an expert. And I think it's just good to touch on them in relationship to this conversation because that's what I was starting to think about, right? My mind, I was in my er like late teens, early twenties. And my mind was as someone who 
grew up in a family that really promoted social justice as a value, right? Like my mom and I would go like volunteer and do like um, out outreach for unhoused people and like bring food to food banks and stuff. My grandmother was like a lobbyist for different progressive causes. And so I grew up in a family that kind of had those values. And so when I started working in these stores, um, you know, it's really easy to get wrapped up in the kind of fantasy of these high-end retail stores that are very um, kind of, oh, what's the right word? They're sort of glamorized, right? But being behind the scenes and seeing how much waste was going in, and I won't get into their particular practices, but if you read about any fast fashion chains, you've heard about the kinds of things they do with like surplus merchandise, destroying it rather than donating it. Um, the tremendous amount of waste that comes through shipping and prepackaging so much like excess of goods and how much waste happens, the impact that that has on the environment on one end, and also the impact that that has through its supply chain and the people that it affects along the way. Um, and so I think I had that job and that kind of turned, you know, just as I was starting to think, hmm, maybe I want to have a career in fashion, that sort of switched my gears a little and made me think, okay, I want to have a career in art and I want to be using recycled materials. And I want people to kind of think about what's going on under the surface of the things that they're so um, kind of uh, intrigued by, these kind of um, exciting things like fashion, right? These things that are about prestige and about, you know, how you look like to get people to start questioning what's really going on behind the scenes with that. And so um, then the one of the other jobs that I had with, that was interesting and instructive in that was I also worked doing sales and visual merchandising for American Apparel, which, as we know, has a storied and rather complicated uh, history. Um, American Apparel is interesting because when it launched, it launched as sort of an answer to fast fashion, right? The idea was that it was made ethically in a factory that was vertically integrated. And so when it first opened, you know, this was in the early years of American Apparel's function. I mean, we won't even talk about the owner because he's like a notorious abuser and we won't get into that whole part of the story. But on a sort of philosophical level, it was a, like one of the first kind of ethical fashion uh, companies, right? Because they were so focused on the labor part of it. And that was something that I was passionate about at the time. I didn't want to work for a company that was exploiting labor. I wanted to work for a company in fashion. I wanted to like get involved in fashion that was more ethical, right? Now, that being said, my experience there and the way that it changed over the course of a few years that I worked there um, kind of, again, opened my eyes to, okay, here's this ethical fashion company, but it's not really, it's still like mass produced. And there's obvious problems going on with the culture of the company, even if the manufacturing ethics were good, right? The culture of the company, the sexism, um, you know, the exploitation was really problematic. So Anyway, so <laughs> I won't spend too much more time talking about those, but I think just having those kinds of experiences in the fashion industry, seeing the different facets, um, were sort of instructive in pushing me away from the fashion industry a little bit, but also continuing to solidify my beliefs in terms of slow fashion and 
um, why that was important, not just on a kind of environmental scale, but also on like a human rights scale. And also additionally, like from the American apparel experience on a kind of personal identity politics scale, right? How do, what are beauty standards? Like how do we trap people and police people's bodies, um, you know, et cetera. And so, um, so yeah, those are kind of some examples of jobs that I had and how they kind of related to what I was doing. I don't know if, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, like you talk about slow fashion, fast fashion. I feel like it's really appropriate to talk about this right now, in particular to like, as we approach the holidays. Um, and this is like that part of the year where, you know, you have all these sales going on um, with very big companies that um do have like those practices of fast fashion um so I'm just interested like how do you view that relationship um between you know around these times in the holidays with climate change with fashion you know like the human rights part of it um it's like a multifaceted issue um and what 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 are you doing right now that um you know is combating that or how do you like particularly like feel about that Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's, it, I'll give an example just because I think it'll be funny. When I was in college, or it was right after college, um, myself, my partner, and a couple of friends actually organized a performance art festival in a mall on Black Friday to kind of have as a commentary, like an art commentary on the shopping holiday, right? Um, and so in that example, what I did was, and I, I'm going to be totally honest and say that I did not fully follow through with this project, but I think conceptually it was kind of interesting, um, which was I went into a store and I bought a shirt and I then sat outside the store and took apart the shirt and sewed it back together. And the plan was to return it just to, to just to like have taken it out kind of made a relationship with the person's hands who did it, right? And then kind of reconstructed that labor in a physical sense. And in kind of a, in kind of a, um, oh, what's the word for it? In a little bit of a, you know, in a performative sense, like kind of performing this right, sitting right outside the shop, right? Like after I bought it and return it. So I didn't actually follow through with the project. So maybe that was a little bit of a failure. I didn't end up returning. I actually just found it half sewn together under my bed like a couple weeks ago. Um, but I think that's an anecdote that kind of just uh, like points to, um, I feel like it's this, I feel like Black Friday is kind of a distraction and in the same way that like marketing in general and fashion marketing is sort of a distraction from the bigger issues, right? And I think that, you know, when you see things like Black Friday sales, I don't necessarily think, I'll say that in my heart, I'm an anti-capitalist, but I'm also a person who's trying to run a business. And so you have to find like a happy medium between those two things. And so what's I don't necessarily have an issue with having sales, having them be at certain times. I think the problem really lies within the amount of volume that gets kind of uh, pushed on people during Black Friday and how we're sort of encouraging people to consume mass amounts of things by having these kinds of sales and, and building up hype. And I feel like we're sort of over the hump of the height of Black Friday as a sort of thing with people, you know, rushing into stores to get merchandise and trampling over each other. I feel like 
luckily we're sort of coming out of that phase of like Black Friday culture and people are starting to kind of rethink it a little bit in a more mainstream sense. Um, but it really is just, I mean, if fast fashion had a holiday, that's what it is, right? It is sort of um, a way for um, that machine of creating desire, creating demand. That's all good. It's really interesting hearing what also comes from these different uh, trails and hearing about that. Something you mentioned, like bringing different people together and just having people think and rethink their relationship to themselves, their clothing, mm -hmm. their environment. I know you do some work with craft craftivism. What would you recommend for students who either are hearing this for the first time or are looking mm -hmm. to get more involved? Mm -hmm. uh, how can you advise people on a student level who are emerging into the world as new adults on yeah. how to think about their relationship with crafts and fashion? So that's great. That's a super good question. So I think one of the big things that I like to encourage people to do, and especially when I was working with undergraduate students, um, is that you should always be questioning the things around you that seem to just be the way things are, right? And that kind of goes for everything. But when it comes to clothing, it gets pretty straightforward, which is just who made this? Like, where did they make it? And what was their experience of making it, right? And so one of the reasons that I really enjoy teaching people how to sew and how to create their own clothing is because it gives them a firsthand experience of how to do that. And so it allows them to start to make those kinds of connections to think, okay, so like I bought this shirt from the store and I just went in and bought it and I gave them a certain amount of money, but there's this whole, um, there's this whole thread that extends from that shirt all the way back to the raw material, like the cotton or the silk that it was woven from or, or knit from. Right. And so I think, the fashion industry has worked really hard to make that story invisible, right? And so my first tip to anybody who's interested in learning more about slow fashion as an idea or starting to question the fashion industry and just dig a little bit deeper is to follow that thread, to start to think about question, where is this thing that I bought from? who made it, what were the conditions in which it was made, what materials is it made from. And I feel like what's nice about that is it kind of does two things. Um, one, it gets you to think about the labor that created it and the people that were behind that labor. And I think anytime we consider others, it's sort of a, a way of connecting to our own humanity and to the humanity of others, right? If we can actually think about the experience of someone, we're putting themselves your, yourself in their shoes, like pun intended, you know, by like walking in shoes that they made. And so it gives us an opportunity to think about those people as people. And I think once you think about people as people, you start to look at the ways in which people are exploited around the world for different purposes, and you start to take issue with that. And I feel like it's a bit of a, it's in a good way, it's a slippery slope. You know, it's hard to ignore that once you start to see it. And at the end of the day, you know, it's not about condemning the fashion industry. It's about finding ways to uplift the people who are invisible or who are exploited or who whose craft doesn't get recognized, you know, to shift the balance of power a little bit. 
Um, and so, yeah, my recommendation for anyone interested in getting into slow fashion, just learning more about the ways in which they're connected to the fashion world and what their role is, would be to just follow the thread, you know, do a little bit of research um, and figure out, you know, what the story is behind what they've, uh, what they're consuming, you know, because it is, it is obscured on purpose to hide that kind of exploitation or whatever it is, whether it's environmental impact, which is really important. Fashion industry is a huge polluter. It's one of the, you know, major players in terms of what is creating climate change. And so I think, you know, to, regardless of what angle you're coming from, if you're interested in identity politics and, you know, body positivity or like gender neutrality, like whatever you're interested in that kind of connects to the fashion industry, like, that's a really interesting avenue to start like thinking about it in a more activistic sense to kind of like radicalize yourself a little bit. Uh, same with the environment, same with hum with uh, labor rights and like human rights, you know, it's like, this is a really nice entry point if you like clothes to just start. And you don't have to not like clothes anymore. That's the other thing that I'll tell students. It's like, it can be really easy when you start going down this, this path to go, oh, like fashion industry sucks. Like I shouldn't care. I shouldn't like fashion. If I like fashion and I like clothes, that's bad. That's not actually the case. I think if you love clothes, that makes you the perfect person to question that industry and to try to like take it apart, you know? No, thank you so much for that. Um, I think, you know, it's 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 so important to find the resources and be um, like self-educating and, you know, go out and have that initiative. Um, and I think a lot of people have that, um, idea that, oh, you have to hate clothes, or you have to hate brands, or you have to hate like this whole industry of fashion to get into slow fashion. But mm -hmm. I think what you're saying completely makes sense that if you're dedicated to fashion, like the real like ethics and like the philosophy of like human rights, sustainability, especially, you know, in the times that we're living in today, mm -hmm. um, it's super important to be informed. Um, with that, we're just going to pivot a little bit back to um, your, your career. Has there I know we talked a little bit about how you were started as a painter um, and with all of your job experiences kind of changed a little bit to the tra trajectory that you're on now. Was there at any point in um, all of those experiences where you were like, I don't know, fashion is, you know, the right um, industry for me or just like a different idea than what you're doing right now? Uh, yes, many times throughout my whole career. <laughs> so I've questioned it so many times because you know, it's that, it's that pull. I have that, um, because I love clothing and I love style and I love the performance of fashion. I've always been really drawn to it, but because of my beliefs and sort of my ethics in the world, I have always been really repulsed by it. And so it's been a push and pull through most of my life. And I think that's a lot of the reason why I ended up in the jobs that I did instead of going and continuing down the retail trajectory, I got very kind of disenchanted with retail after the jobs that I had in college. And so after college, I went and worked for an independent vintage boutique. And that seemed to me to be kind of a good alternative. I was using, uh, I was selling secondhand clothes. I was giving old clothes a new lease on life. And something about that felt really good. So I really Im immersed myself in that world. And I was working with a woman who used to own this vintage store kind of as her, I started out just working there part-time and eventually became kind of like a manager of the store. I was buying secondhand stuff. Um, I was doing repairs and alterations in shop again, cause I always sewed. So I knew how to do that. So I was doing alterations for people. 
I met all kinds of different people uh, with different styles, different gender expressions, and it was really fun to just collaborate with them on making clothes fit them better and finding things that that met their style and like made them feel like themselves. Um, and so that was a, an excellent experience. Um, and that really kind of helped send me on the trajectory that I would eventually end up on. Um, while I was there, I started my own business. Um, I was working in the vintage shop part time. And then the other part of the time, I started a, a custom clothing business. So what I would do is I would work with individual clients who, again, were kind of dissatisfied with what they were finding ready to wear, either because the quality wasn't good enough or they didn't feel good about it, buying it ethically, or maybe their body and their gender expression made it hard for them to find clothes that fit them properly. Um, or maybe they just couldn't find, just straight up couldn't find what they wanted in stores and wanted to have someone make it for them. Um, and so I did that for a couple of years and it was really nice. I worked with some really cool people. I have some horror stories too, but that's a whole other thing. I don't do wedding stuff anymore for that reason, <laughs> but um, but I did work with a lot of really great people who just wanted clothing to feel like themselves. Because I feel like when we land on fashion that fits us right, that fits our personality, it can be so empowering, right? It can give you so much. And so um, at a certain point in time, so I did that for quite a while. And I actually still do that periodically for people. I'll, I'll take on clients and I'll do alterations or custom patterns. And it's all for those reasons discussed above. And part of that, you know, I fell into that because I had this art degree, which I think was really great for getting me to think conceptually about things, to build up my like values and philosophies, um, and to think in terms of like a whole project and like realizing a goal. Um, but then I had to fall back on a technical skill that I knew how to do, which was working in retail and customer service, because I love talking to, I'm a total extrovert. I love talking to people. I love helping them shop. Um, and also my man, you my technical skill of sewing, right? Which is something that is actually harder to find nowadays. Um, so I kind of went down that path and it was always adjacent to fashion, but I never found myself wanting to dip into fashion fully. And I think part of that was just because I didn't, I didn't like the industry. And so I worked with, when I was in this vintage boutique, we also carried independent designers clothing that were handmade. And so it was like, I was just trying to get myself into every fashion facet that didn't have to do with mass produced fashion. And so that kind of really shaped a lot of, that continued to kind of shape my philosophy about slow fashion for many years. Nice. That's really cool how you're able to explore like all of the spokes around like the center pin of fashion. Is there, as you did all of that exploration, were there any mentors you had either at the SMFA or beyond who either helped influence your thinking or influence your career path? So I definitely think that the woman who I worked with at the vintage stores, a woman named Danny Pearson, she was pretty awesome. And she was just like cool because she was a person that I could, who was running her own business, was very inspiring. I connected to her um, in terms of a love for vintage clothing and a love for handmade things. And so I think what I lucked out with, I always felt a little weird that I never had like a mentor. Like I always, and I think that's actually part of why I signed up for the herd was because I thought, okay, I would have loved to have a mentor. And I love the idea of being a mentor for someone else. 
Um, but I, you know, I've, what I've had instead of mentors is I've had bosses, like people who I worked for in small businesses who were really inspiring to me. And I think between the person that I worked under um, at the vintage store, I also worked at a fabric store for many years, um, both teaching sewing classes. And um, this was after the vintage store, teaching sewing classes, working behind the counter retail um, at a place called JP Knit and Stitch in Jamaica Plain, which doesn't exist there anymore, but it was wonderful for many years. Um, and working for the women who ran that shop were also was were also very inspirational to me because they really kind of uh, crafted a shop that felt like a community hub. And for me, like engaging with community and creating kind of a um, creating a collection of people who sort of inspire each other to create and to do good things in the world and to like find connection and meaning. Um, I was very, very inspired by that. So I'd say like those two experiences specifically and the people that I was working under, that's where I sort of got a lot of inspiration from to eventually go on to launch my own business, which I am about to do in like two months, <laughs> which is really exciting. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it's it's great that you join the herd. You know, that's what the program is for. It's what the platform is for to, you know, help um, students at Tufts kind of navigate their career journey. And you have such a unique experience and um, like set of um, like background um, that I think a lot of people will find um, helpful. But can you like expand a little bit on like the new business, this new sure. journey that you're taking on? Yeah. So, so like I mentioned, when I started working at the fabric store, which was about 10 ish, 10 ish, maybe 12 years ago, um, I was so comfortable with retail because I'd done that all through college and I loved to sew. So I was like, great, I'm going to be in this yarn and fabric shop just with my people all the time. Um, and they encouraged me to start teaching classes. And so when I started teaching classes like 2010, 2011, I was really nervous at first. And I'm saying this because if anybody else is interested, maybe I want to be a teacher, maybe I want to get into teaching, but I'm really shy, I'm anxious. I'm a very anxious person. I've got like certified anxiety, but um, I started teaching and I just fell in love with it. Like after I got comfortable and got into my rhythm, I just completely fell in love with teaching and pretty much shifted gears into totally being about like just focusing on teaching. And so for the last like 10 plus years, that's been my main focus. And I've taught at a variety of different places, like continuing ed things for colleges or for um, in their like adult education spaces. I've taught at fabric stores. Um, I spent the last five years before I left um, teaching in a fa undergraduate fashion design program, um, which was really interesting because again, here I am like swinging over and getting involved in the fashion industry. And then once I get there, kind of negotiating the pressure of okay, now I have to teach in this conventional fashion program. How do I uphold like the curriculum, but also bring my values into it? And so I did my best to talk about like, let's focus on sustainability. Let's talk about like, you know, um, uh, any number of different things that I've mentioned like earlier in this class. So it was a nice way to kind of go, okay, I can do fashion and like do it in a good way, do it in a way that feels good to me. So I was there for, you know, I taught at 
many other places for a number of years. I was at the college for a number of years. And during COVID, um, the college actually closed down my program. So I left. And it was at that point where I was like, you know, I've taught at a million different places for the last decade. I have this philosophy of recycling, sustainability, um, empowerment, like uh, empathy, cultivating empathy, like creating connections with other people and creating community. Um, and I was like, I think it is time for me to take all that knowledge and those ideas and create my own space where I can like have that kind of community. And so over the last year, I have been working on developing a concept for a sewing and textile arts school that will also have a resource center for recycling things like fabric and text, uh, textiles, uh, craft supplies, sewing supplies. Um, so it'll be like part fashion school, but with a focus on sustainability and recycling. And then part um, like fabric and supply store, but with a focus on recycling. So that's what I'm working on right now. I have a, a space secured, um, which is down the street from where I live, which is fantastic. Um, and I live out in the suburbs, right? I lived in Boston for many years, and now I live about an hour south of the city um, in kind of like a farmy rural suburb. And it was really intentional to open a space out here because I feel like in the city, you have access to all these different things. But when you're out in the suburbs, you're really kind of living in the like outlet malls, Walmart, like status quo. And I want to bring that kind of environment out here. So, um, yeah, so I'm hoping to open in February of 2023. I'm just doing all the fun stuff and all the legal and business things and putting together, uh, you know, class listings and calendars and legal accounting stuff. And so <laughs> that's the next step. But I feel like in a way, everything I've done up until this point has like prepared me for this project. It's like my next project. That's awesome. That's, I can't believe you have a space already. Best of luck as you continue that <laughs> endeavor. Continuing on a class-related topic, are there any classes that you wish you had taken or that you are looking at that would help you in what you do now? Especially you have such a strong arts background, now you're looking more into the business space. Mm -hmm. Are there any other skills or classes you wish you had? Absolutely. I think that, you know, I would definitely have benefited from a really fundamental sort of business and entrepreneurship class or seminar. That was not something that was really emphasized. I think because everyone was very focused on art in a sort of capital A sense of, okay, you're going to show in galleries, you're going to make your work, you're going to get grants, that's kind of how you're going to subsist. Or you're just going to like graduate from college and go get a regular job and do art on the weekends. I feel like it would have been really nice to have some sort of an entrepreneurship program where I could really learn the nuts and bolts of setting up a business, because that's something that I've had to essentially teach myself um, over the last couple of years. You know, when I started the pattern business, which I did while I was teaching, um, after I had sort of wrapped up my custom clothing, I wasn't doing as much custom clothing anymore. I was like, I, people need to sew their own stuff. I'm just going to make patterns. We didn't even talk about that. Um, when I started the pattern business, that was like, 
very new territory for me. And again, as someone who mostly identifies in it as an anti-capitalist, it felt very weird to be like creating, you know, valuing my products and pricing things out and like figuring out that kind of stuff. So I feel like um, I would have loved to have just a basic entrepreneurship class. And I think adding to that, if we were in a perfect utopian kind of world, I would have loved to have a business and entrepreneurship class for people interested in creating ethical businesses and businesses with like sustainability in mind. And so that's something that like I hope to maybe in the future offer to my students, like like a seminar on how do you launch a sustainable fashion line or how do you do that kind of a thing. So that's probably pretty far in the future. Um, I also, on that same note, I guess this kind of goes along with the business thing, but I think it would have also been helpful to have some ideas about marketing and marketing research. But the other thing is if I had taken those classes when I was in college, they would all be outdated now because we didn't have the same social media, you know, kind of world that we do now. So I think it worked out just from learning by osmosis and teaching myself. Um, but I probably could have saved myself a little trouble along the way had I had some more business knowledge. No, for sure. Um, I think, I don't know if Tufts had it um, when you were a student, but I think we have a major in entrepreneurship for social impact or a oh, minor that's awesome. that's um, cool. that does allow for students to learn about mm-hmm. um, business opportunities and how to create their own business for social impact. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wish that it wasn't a class and it was just basic business that we should be creating a business for with ethical standards. Yes. And Um, I I would kind of agree with you on that. I almost feel like that I was talking with someone the other day about just updating and shifting the kind of core curriculum that we teach in, in undergraduate programs, like what should be our gen ed nowadays, right? And so I think in a way, because of the world that we live in, having a social, socially just entrepreneurship class should almost be like Gen Ed, like everyone should take it because the world we live in now, you know, this sort of like capitalist experiment is, I think we would probably be better off regardless of what someone's studying. I don't know if they're a biology major or they're an art major or international relations or Spanish, like whatever it is, having that foundation of, okay, how do you build an ethical organization regardless of what you're involved in? Um, I feel like that would be beneficial to almost any student. Yeah, I totally agree, especially looking at how colleges are either doing open curriculum, Mm -hmm. rethinking what possibilities could be. Looking a little bit at that business aspect and combining it with the arts, do you have any advice for students who are looking to pursue a career in the arts or who are thinking about converting their art into a business and a career and what advice you would give them as they navigate that process? Mm, That's a great question. I think that it is finding a balance in terms of what you're comfortable with, with figuring out what you want to do and what brings you joy and what you're good at. And then that Venn diagram of what the world needs, like where they cross over. Because when I work with when I work with fashion entrepreneurship students and I'm talking to them about creating their own businesses, you know, my advice is in a very conventional sense. And this is very conventional fashion. Like you look for a niche, like you look for a need that needs to be met. 
But I think what I would add to that is you look for a need that actually needs to be met versus like a manufactured need, like, oh, I need the latest trend, like in clothing versus like, oh, there's a problem in the world and I'm going to figure out how to solve it. And so I think when it comes to art, I think art is very important. And I I want to encourage people that their art, even in a world, because there might be as people who are like, okay, the world's falling apart. Like, how is me making art going to help anything? Right. So I would tell those folks, you know, making your art is important. Art is what connects us with our humanity. It's what allows us to connect to each other and to, you know, express beautiful things in the world. And so I think that if you're pursuing the arts, I think, first of all, if your heart is in it, that's a really good starting place to just do what you're passionate about. But then it's also about two things. One is just sort of being savvy to find niches that you could fall into and find yourself along a path. So for me, it was like a vintage store and like getting involved in people who are interested in vintage clothing and connecting with that community. Um, you know, sort of rather than trying to appeal to everyone, find your people and form connections with them. Find your gallery that loves your work that wants to support you. Find, you know, patrons who like your work who want to, you know, buy it or like put on a show for you. Find a company that wants to use your illustrations because they think they're great. Like find your find your niche. Um, and then the other thing that I would suggest if anyone's interested in pursuing art from an entrepreneurship perspective, like maybe they want to start their own line of jewelry or home goods or something because, you know, we live in a world where it's hard to find conventional jobs doing creative stuff. It's like you're, you're really kind of hustling on your own, selling on Etsy, trying to form your own business. That's sort of how, that's sort of like the path for a lot of people in creative fields nowadays, if they're not working in tech. Um, and so for that, I would say, um, ask for help, like find, um, find mentors and things like that. Find people who have done what you want to do and connect with them and learn how to do it. Um, I actually, you know, you, you asked about mentors while I was in school. I didn't necessarily have any mentors while I was in school, but as a person further along in my life, I have intentionally sought out mentors when I have projects that I'm trying to make happen. So for this latest business, um, there's a program called SCORE, which is a business mentorship program where you get paired with retired people who have worked in a variety of fields and they advise you on starting a business or marketing a business. It's an excellent resource. So if you have any students who are interested in entrepreneurship after, after graduating, I would highly recommend that whether they're in the arts or any other field. Um, I had a lot of great success from that. Um, but yeah, that's that's my main advice is just like, you know, find out what you're good at and what you like doing, because sometimes you're good at things, but if you don't like doing them, that's not very fun. And then what the world needs and what kinds of problems you can solve, how you can contribute uh, to making it the world a better place, as cheesy as that sounds. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um... You gave us so much like information. There's like so much there. Uh, we really <laughs> appreciate it. Do you have any last things for like students who maybe not know what art they want to go into or like started out as, as you did, um, you know, started out as painting, but now you're doing something completely different or yeah. going to art school and um, not really just knowing that they want to do art. Mm -hmm. Any last pieces of advice for just like career development, career exploration? 
Absolutely. I would say the main things are try a lot of different things. When I started school, I went in as a painter and I was thinking I was just going to do painting. I signed up for a video art, art class. I signed up for a performance art class. I did a sculpture class. I did computer stuff. Like I just tried as many different things as I could. And what was nice about that was that I ended up finding, like making all these different connections and learning about mediums and artwork even that I would have never been exposed to otherwise. And that got my gears turning. I feel like the more you can fill your mind with possibility, the more that possibility starts to present itself to you for what you're going to do, right? Because you're seeing, if all you're ever looking at, you know, is just painters, you're never going to think like, oh, what if I made a sculpture or what if I made an installation? But if you start looking at all that other stuff, it gives you so many more options. You know, in a way, like looking at performance art and sculpture, I started to work with textiles more. And maybe that kind of led me into wanting to experiment with fashion and things like that, you know, for work, because I was just trying different things. So, you know, part of it is just opening yourself up to possibility. If you don't know what you want to do, just try lots of different stuff. Um, And then the other thing is to find something, not necessarily in terms of medium, but to find something that you're passionate about and find a way to connect it to your art. So whatever that is, I mean, I feel like most people have things that they're passionate about that maybe seem completely unconnected to art, right? How do you find ways to bridge your creative practice and, um, sorry, that was my phone. How do you find ways to bridge your creative practice and the things that you're passionate about, like how you